Mini episode 1258 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1258. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here, and uh, we are yet another part into our Coronavirus Crisis 2020 series, and this is going to be taking a look at the restart of the NBA in the bubble in Orlando. And uh, I have with me here a uh, longtime FDH Lounge dignitary and FDH NBA analyst Ben Chu, and this is not the first time we've looked at uh, the NBA restart. Uh, we did a little bubble follies thing here recently, looking at uh, some of the lighter side of the return to play during the uh, the bubble uh, era of the NBA, if you want to call it, during this global pandemic. So we've, we've already looked at that. There's a few new developments, of course, in that since the last time we talked, including a very notorious trip to a strip club that I'm sure we'll get into. But uh, we are going to be predominantly today on-court focused, since we've covered a lot of the other material already, and uh, sort of give you some thoughts on what we think might happen in this most unprecedented restart to the NBA season. And of course, for that, who better than my good friend Ben Chu. Ben, welcome back on, my friend. Good to talk hoops with you as always, brother. It's always good to talk to you as usual, right? For official check, it's still not clear yet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, it may not clear anytime soon. We're in a global pandemic, brother. <laughs> Times are tough all over. <laughs> yeah, ask Steve Mnuchin. I'm sure it's in the mail. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so we, uh, I, I had already alluded to it. We can get this out of the way. A little bit of continuity from last time when we were talking about the bubble follies here. Good old sweet Lou Williams. Uh, and there was an article on CBSSports.com today that posited that him getting caught the way that he did sort of proves that the system works, and I guess you could say that. And fortunately, at the most recent check, nobody inside the bubble has tested positive for coronavirus. So I guess you could say no harm done on that one there. But it's one of these things where it just makes you wonder when some of these guys are going to learn. I mean, just the fact that they're in Orlando in the first place, that we're having to do it this way with everything that's at stake, uh, again, nothing should be a surprise because of human nature, but uh, it just makes you wonder if we've seen the last of this finally. Well, I think it probably will be on some level, but it also is going to be interesting to see with Santa Boca. I know players like Damian Lillard and I believe LeBron had a similar thing about it at some point too with the staff. There's a question about how long players need to bubble for an extended period of time. In the short term, I don't think it'll be a major deal, Rick, but it's still going to take Yeah, I would agree. And I think that you're looking at a situation here where, uh, again, there's there's so much at stake with uh, everybody going for a, a title right now, a lot of legacies on the line. But from a health perspective, you have a lot of older coaches in here, some executives that are inside the bubble. 
there are some people that are uh, fairly vulnerable uh, that are in there, and there are, of course, some NBA players uh, that, that have some pre-existing conditions where it could be worse for them if they get it. So there, there's an awful lot at stake on almost every level you can think of right now. Right, and I think the issue, too, is of unlike no other. Let's talk about a couple of specifics here because you and I have talked about this extensively in some of our extensive off-air conversations which we tend to do about Hoops Life and any number of things here but uh, in, in a more recent off-air conversation we were speculating about some stuff that ended up being uh, well great show fodder uh, not least of which again the fact that because of these unprecedented times there's already a lot of chaos here uh, there's likely to not be a lot of continuity, and hence, coaches can play into this because uh, if they want to roll the dice a little bit, if they're willing to do something that's a little bit unfamiliar and that they haven't practiced as much, you can really put the other team on your heels as far as not giving them anything to prepare for. There's a couple of circumstances here, uh, and, and we'll build from probably the least speculative to the most speculative. One that we already know is on the record is that Philadelphia is going to be debuting a lineup of Ben Simmons moving to power forward, uh, hence uh, somewhat kind of taking the three-point thing a little bit out of uh, the element as far as being a detriment to his game. Uh, unless you're a stretch four, you're not exactly expected to put up threes. Uh, but uh, Shake Milton coming into play first string point guard. Uh, ben Simmons, I understand, in the scrimmages is still walking it up the court a decent amount. You would expect him to be uh, a lead or co-lead ball handler every time he's out there anyways. But uh, Philly putting him at the four, it, it certainly helps them a lot defensively. It helps with their length, uh, especially in that front court. And it, uh, it gives teams, as we said, something they haven't seen before. Thing that 
kind of sticking to certain lineups. It just sort of seems like a different way and feel. And it's going to be interesting to see because it's very rare for Philly specifically. Like, they have elite talent all across the board. You've got, you got Simmons, you got Embiid, you got Tobias Harris, John Rickardson, who has been solid this year. Milton, you have a Burknock Portmoss, you also have. You all use that. I can't speak again today, but you say first month, first month one, and then your brain goes just go That's right. I mean, they got, they got another couple other pieces of the Alex Burke, Mark Robinson, third, also coming off the bench. So technically, you would say this is Philly's deepest team in the MB Simmons era, and it's going to be very interesting to see because they can be, in my opinion, across the board, they can be a one and done. They are, yeah, and we're going to talk more about uh, the path in the Eastern Conference here subsequently. That's uh, an excellent point. Also in the Eastern Conference, a team that we're going to talk more about uh, after we get past this part of the segment here in terms of talking about uh, unusual lineups, uh, the prohibitive favorite uh, by many in the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks having a historically great season both offensively and defensively. And uh, I saw an article again on CBSSports.com today talking about the success that they have had in playing the Greek Freak at the five. And thus far, that's only been sort of a gimmick lineup seen here and there. Uh, but uh, the author of the piece uh, kind of posited that that could be uh, a big advantage for them if they wanted to go to that on a more regular basis. You, it gives you room to bring somebody like Kyle Korver off the bench, stretch the floor out even more. So. Uh, thoughts on that, and uh, whether we could be seeing uh, Jonas here possibly getting some uh, serious minutes at the five. Well, I mean, I, I think Mike Ludenholzer is one of the head coaches out there who is willing to try his things, but he is very strict with his rotation, so it would not shock me if we see Jonas at the five a little bit. They do love Brooke Lopez. We also know that Brooke Lopez is probably going to be up for a defense player of the year nomination and or a member of the all defensive team. And Milwaukee is in a weird position because they're clearly the prohibitive favorite in Eastern Conference. Giannis really didn't lock that many minutes during the season. He averaged, I believe, if I'm incorrect, uh, all with around 30 or 31 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And it's still going to be the prohibitive MVP winner this year. And it's going to be interesting for them because for the reseeding game, Milwaukee doesn't have a lot to play for. They, they still have sizable distance at this time over the Toronto Raptors who are currently sitting in the two spot of about six and a half games. So unless Milwaukee goes 8-0 and Toronto goes 8-0, they're going to hold the overall number one speed. It, it, it's going to be interesting because they have a very good team, but one argument that I've heard positive some people is that Milwaukee is probably the one team out of all these teams that probably are going to get hurt by the because that whole crowd in Milwaukee this season, they were fantastic. They landed at a one point eight three. And outside of that little bit of slippiness with the Raptors Eastern Conference final loss last year, that's a big reason why they were able to go up two of the start and then essentially we know the end of the story there. It's just gonna be very interesting to see how Mike Moon holder plays it because that team is arguably the most balanced in the league one of the arguably the most talented player in the league at this current time. Yeah, very much so. And uh, again, you know, I'll just ask you a follow-up here since we're talking about Milwaukee, and uh, there's a theory that I've seen 
that uh, another thing that could cause them some problems, like you said, they're going to have the end of their regular season basically just being mop-up games here. The first round, it, it will carry absolutely no drama whatsoever. They should sweep whoever they play with the kind of year that they're having. And then, boom, the likelihood in the second round, you could be getting the winner of, let's say, a Philadelphia-Miami series, which that, that team is going to be very fierce. Probably very tired coming out of that series, because that one could easily go seven. So you could have a team that's tired, but you're going to have a team that's hot, and you haven't had anything to play for since, what, February? January? Is there any kind of uh, danger to that whatsoever? I mean, there is danger to it. Anyone who says otherwise is clearly having watched NBA basketball in the last couple of years. But I think Milwaukee, again, I, I think there's a lot of people who are predicting that even if they get to the final, they'll get rolled by the Lakers or the Clippers or whoever comes out of the West. And I still think, at least judging from the scrimmage game so far, we haven't seen what Ludenhold is going to do for regular season. But they, the books have just looked dominant the entire time. And until proven otherwise, they can really do a little bit of everything. The only thing that you would argue with their weakness is their point guard play. But if you really look at the teams that will probably be there at the end, most likely not a lot of them have really great point guards to really stand out. That's so, right. If I'm the Bucs, I'm going to just try and get through the first round. I, I think if I, if I, if I was to do if you put me into like the brain of Mike Ludenhold, I'd literally just tell him, like, look, these eight seeding games do not matter. Let's just try and get Giannis days off, just give him some run when we need to give him run, and then just try to work on team continuity the rest of the way, because at the end of the day, Giannis will probably be the reason if they win the NBA Finals or not, but moving forward, the more continuity you can have around him, the guys on that roster, guys like George Hill, guys like Eric Bledsoe, guys like Kyle Fulford, guys like Dante DiVincenzo, who can help spread the board and kind of make Giannis' job immensely easier. That's right. Uh, that is a very good point. We, we move from the least speculative of some of the wild cards here to the most speculative, the, the one where uh, I will say only half tongue-in-cheek, exclusive, must credit the FDH Lounge, because you and I were talking about this the other day off-air, and I haven't really seen much in the way of speculation about it. We have seen, obviously, reports coming out of Orlando, and we've seen some video, and this is what prompted us to start talking this way, the way that Ball Ball is playing for Denver, but the notion of actually giving him any kind of solid minutes uh, in this uh, run here for the end of the regular season and then the playoffs, you don't hear a lot of speculation that they might try and use him to any kind of significant degree because he wasn't a significant contributor to the team to this point, much less Michael Porter, who they are still kind of you know easing into things here, treating with kid gloves because of his long-term potential. And you and I had both basically said that as talented as those guys are, yeah, it's a little bit of a risk, but in a way you're kind of playing with house money because nobody expects you in the end to get past the Lakers and the Clippers uh, out there. They might expect you to win just about any other series, but certainly not to get past those two teams at this point with the year that they had had. Ironically, one of the issues that they'd had was uh, the Joker not necessarily being in great shape the whole year. Uh, unfortunately, after he got COVID, things might have gone too far the other way. Dude might be a little bit too lean and mean right now. But uh, again, if you're Denver, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and I think you had some of the same kind of thoughts here, based on what you're seeing in practice and based on you know what your instincts are watching these guys, 
it would be really kind of unprecedented to throw something at the wall by changing up your rotation at this point and giving serious minutes to talented guys, but guys who have not been big contributors to this point. But if you're Denver, uh, it might just be time to say what the hey, because uh, they, they could be an X factor. And again, can't say this enough, other teams cannot prepare for what's coming because they haven't seen a rotation that fully includes those two guys. Right, and we've seen Mike Malone as one of the very few head coaches. And Mike Malone was always willing to take risks. He did that when he was the head coach of the Sacramento Kings as well. It's going to be interesting with Denver because, let's be honest, last year, professionally looking at the docket, we assumed that they were pretty much on a collision course with the Golden State Warriors for the Western Conference Finals, that is, and ultimately got upended by the Portland Trailblazers. It's going to be interesting with Denver because, again, like you said, it does kind of feel like for them it is a little bit of house money. There's no altitude on court advantage for them in the bubble. So it's going to be interesting when I see them. But like we've always, like we've discussed off air, like this, you might as well take the risk because the worst case scenario is that if it doesn't work, you're really playing. Because I'll be honest, like this, some people at this point of the season, if you're looking at roughly the eight teams, or let's just say you eliminate, let's just assume Memphis will stay eight. If you look at the eight playoff teams right now, Denver probably doesn't even rank in the barely east of the top four, for being honest. It's got teams we think that can go all the way to the NBA Finals. So if I'm Denver, I'm, I'm willing to take a risk because the worst case scenario is the risk doesn't work out or if it doesn't work. And again, I'm not saying you completely change your lineup. I'm just saying you should give time and minutes to players who provide the same advantage. Another analysis to go back to the East, one of my discussions I've talked with people on there, Taco Ball in Boston, he provides such a, such a significant size advantage. I'm kind of surprised Brad Stevens and other head coaches have, aren't going to give him like five minute bursts every game just to get a guaranteed six to ten points a night. Yeah, that's, that would be pretty smart also, too, because uh, again, you have really an unprecedented opportunity here to really kind of screw things up for the other teams. Uh, because of, uh, again, the, 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 the inherent disruptive nature of where we are. Nobody's been out there on the court for a couple of months. This is an interruption in the season, the likes of which we've never seen before. Uh, you, you basically have an in-season training camp, which is just wrapping up now. Chance to try a couple of different things. So, yeah, it, it, that is going to be one of the things to kind of keep an eye on because there are so many X factors here that we can't forecast. Uh, it, it's worth looking at the ones where if you squint hard enough, you might be able to see something here. So maybe some of these things we've speculated about will come to pass as teams are scratching for any kind of an edge that they can get. Uh, in, in a tournament, if you, that if you take away a couple of the favorites, Milwaukee and probably the two L.A. teams, uh, them aside, everything else seems fairly wide open in the views of many. So as you did a second ago here, let's pivot back to the East. And let's take a look at uh, some of the other teams. We've already talked about Milwaukee in the context of uh, Anticampo and uh, how key he is and the things that they might do. We already touched on Philadelphia and what their rotation is going to look like at this point. Uh, teams out there that a lot of people think could be primed for making runs to the finals, uh, or at least to the conference finals, uh, Miami, uh, Boston, which I'm, I'm kind of down on them just, just based on some of the vibes I'm kind of picking up off of them. And uh, Toronto, which is a team that you've been consistent in saying for a long, long time 
could be a, an actual legitimate threat to get past Milwaukee again, even without Kawhi this year. Right, and I, and I think the issue, too, is that the West seems more top-loaded than he this year, but there's still some really good teams that he And I think a lot of them are trying to figure out, because for, for the talk of the neutral side, the bubble, and all these things, this would be one of the very few years where we probably will be maybe a team that isn't a one-seed or an overall two-seed kind of make it into the timeline, make it into the deeper conference and, and possibly NBA Finals. Prior to the bubble, we've only had two teams in NBA history who have made the finals as a lower than a four seed. That was the Celtics in the mid-60s. And the, uh, well, actually, no, technically, I'll correct myself. There's only been two teams that have won a championship seated lower than four. That was the mid-60s Celtics team, at least 64, 65, and the Houston Rockets of 93, 94. And you would think this would be a year that this West comes. Someone outside the bubble would be, not outside the bubble, outside the top would be interesting. Miami's simultaneous to be case study because they, during the season, have a lot of the things that you would be able to stand with the Bucs. They have a great defender in Jimmy Butler. They have a team that's predicated on three point shooters, guys like Tyler Figaro, the McRobinson, Kendrick Nunn. And they got, you know, they have a big powder in the deal with Memphis. So they have a long, pretty deep young team, Bam out of Island. This year, and as it's great room to grow moving forward, I, I, they're an interesting team also because they're just in the region. It, 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 it's weird that people tend to undercut this idea, but it does make some logical sense. Is that if you play in a region and you're used to playing in an area or a state, you do kind of feel that there is different. Like, I would make the argument like Portland's different than Denver, and Denver is different from Cleveland, and New York is different from Chicago. So, my, they might have a little bit of a hometown in a little bit of an edge. That might be a little bit different. I'd say the same thing for the Orlando Magic, too, but they statistically at this point are probably not going to get past the first round because they'll probably have to face the one or two seniors. But yeah. just to go quick and finish up on the Raptors really quickly, they seem to be like the most likely candidate to probably be the lobby just because they have all the pieces still there. They got great depth. They have great coaching and nurse. They just seemingly that if you would think that the camaraderie they had together and just how they were, and again, this entire season they were injured, they're finally healthy. And it's going to be, in my opinion, if the team, most likely team that isn't the long company will be the Raptors. They, they've already been battle tested. They've won a final. Sure, they lost Kawhi, but they won 46 games before the break this year. They're probably barring some other gaining that's going to get some 50 wins again. So I would think they're the most likely candidate, but again, like you said, Selfish, the Eagles, and then the 76 are all teams that are going to be good. I, like I said, like we commented, I'm a little bit down on the Celtics as well. The camaraderie and continuity is going to be a little bit of their issue, but you got to love their depth too. You know, and they, they have a, just as good a chance as everyone, especially if Jason Tatum can sort of replicate the final two months of the season when he's pretty much playing like Kobe Bryant. Yeah. So that is uh, that. That's a consideration there as well. And uh, Brad Stevens being the coach, uh, you can never completely bet against them. Uh, but, yeah, neither one of us, I think, likes their odds uh, that much. I will say also, too, a couple other teams in the East that we are going to give short shrift to, like you said, Orlando. There's nothing that makes anybody think they can win a first-round series. Brooklyn, yeah, they might have KD and they might have Kyrie, but neither one of them is playing. They don't have a full deck to begin with. DeAndre Jordan won't be there either. 
Brooklyn will be first-round fodder for, for somebody. Not, not to mention they're on in a, inexplicably a new head coach uh, after canning uh, Kenny Atkinson, something that doesn't make any more sense now than it did then. One thing that I want to touch on here, it's a logical segue point, not a team that I think is going to come out of the first round, but uh, when you were talking about low-seeded teams that had at least made it to the finals, uh, we must also mention the 1999 Ewing Theory New York Nets, or New York Knicks who made it there, and uh, somebody who is not a Ewing Theory candidate uh, this year is Malcolm Brogdon. I continue to believe the Bucks would be even better. I mean, this was not addition by subtraction. They are doing it despite what I think was the boneheaded move and letting go of him. He's gone to Indiana. He's been good. We haven't gotten to see him with Oladipo very much. Oladipo, who had been hurt much of the year still, he was wobbly on whether or not he was going to go there. He is going to be there. This will be at least a taste of getting to see what it looks like with Brogdon and with Oladipo there. Both of those guys are guys that uh, really need the ball in their hands a lot. But uh, it's a little bit of a preview for next year and what could be a pretty tasty lineup for them if they can make those pieces fit together. Yeah, I mean, at Indiana, I would say we like their chance a little bit better if the Sabonis yes. was going to play. Was going to play. He sadly is not going to be able to play. But well, let's not forget, Indiana is a very neat team. And do I think they'll win a playoff series? Will they go to Eastern Conference? Will they win a couple playoff series? Probably not, but let's be real. They have a very steady lineup of a lot of good guys. And Oladipo does slowly feel healthy and can't play at these seeding games. They're going to be a really good team. And again, if we, if we're, we're, I don't want to leave anyone out of this. So Washington Wizards are a very weird team right now. They don't have Bradley Beal. They don't have Donovan Burton, two of their top scorers. But I do want to note this, and we have to note this for the narrative, is that everyone has been saying that they're currently right now about five and a half games now. Everyone's saying that they're essentially done. They were cannon fodder. I'm going to go with they're not cannon fodder because there's a scenario. Brooklyn is completely just off the rails at this point. They're trying to form a lineup essentially around Carrick Liver, guys like Tyler Johnson, Jamal Crawford, and Jared Allen. So overall I think they're okay, but there's a perceptional scenario that I've seen already that the first game for both for uh or for the uh Brooklyn Nets is Washington. So if Washington beats them and wins game one, they just have to go about four and three the rest of the way and could hypothetically jump into the eight and Washington, I don't think they're going to shock Milwaukee, but I can see a scenario where they could steal a game or two just because of how good their offense can be at times. Really, Hunter Moore has looked like a very good rookie for them, and they still they got competent scores on that team. But I, I, I like I said, I don't. They'll be cannon fodder, but it's going to be interesting cannon fodder. At least that's what I was thinking. Yeah, and again, we've spent a lot of time. I'd say predominantly off-air between the two of us talking about the pace revolution in the game this year, particularly from a handicapping perspective. But Washington is still a team uh, that can just play at an insane pace, and that is something that can destabilize yeah. and, and other teams. And I think one thing that we also should know, too, is that they are probably, they, this is a building year for them, especially with their GM, Tommy Shepard. And they're going to also, like, they're going to have they're going to have John Wall back probably next that team's going to look drastically different. So a lot of these guys, guys like Kamasi, Marius Smith, Robinson, uh, Isaac Baca, uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas Bryant. So they, they have a lot of good young guys. And I think if, if let's say, a team like 
Orlando or Portland falters along the way, they hypothetically may have enough time to get to the seventh seed and could possibly take a game or two up and a higher seed. Yeah, very possibly. And uh, on that note, in terms of uh, continuity, since we're uh, looking at uh, some of the lower teams in the East bracket here, uh, let's start with that on the West before we work our way up uh, to the actual contenders here. And uh, when you're talking about teams where uh, they're doing it a little bit ahead of where they were supposed to be, as you just were a second ago here, we can put both Memphis and New Orleans in that conversation, especially Memphis. Nobody expected them to be a playoff contender this quickly. Uh, you've got New Orleans, who's right there on the bubble, no pun intended. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be getting Zion back in there uh, inside the bubble and uh, getting ready to make a run. Uh, they, they've got a little bit of an impediment in terms of the number of uh, teams that they have to run down in front of them, much less the games they have to run down to make it there. But uh, the bottom of the West, uh, as far as the uh, playoff bracket, that's going to be probably the most interesting subplot, or at least tied for that, over these eight regular season games. Right, and, and I think that's going to be interesting. And obviously, the marquee game just seems to start off on versus the Lakers are still kind of a work in progress. They're going to have Rondo out uh, probably into the beginning of September. So, I mean, that's if, if, if you're looking at any kind of a scenario, it would be that. I would be remiss uh, if I didn't give a little salute there, being the good Bobcat that I am. You mentioned Gary Trent Jr. I got to say, got to love the son of the Shack of the Mac. So I'm always yeah, happy to... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm always happy to hear him get yeah, I mean, represented. Too, I mean, if we, we, if we're talking about 
and that. That's a scenario that a lot of teams, I think, are looking at is that uh, regardless of what happens here, maybe they can get a jump on what happens when the next season starts in December, question mark, whenever that may be, but that's another story for another day. So I think most of us would agree, perceptionally anyways, that in the Western Conference, we just got done talking about the third tier, which is basically eight seed right now and below, and that uh, perceptually... You have a lot of people thinking the two LA teams are at the top, and then in between seeds three through seven, and not not that the Clippers are necessarily going to pull down the two seed, but uh, you know could happen. But that would uh, take some doing here to to hold off the other teams. You have five teams in the way. You have perennial contender Houston, who uh, again they they really doubled down on small ball with their uh, midseason trade of Capella here and. Uh, you know, that's gone a little bit up and down. Plus, you got Westbrook coming down with the Rona. So, Houston is a team where uh, they might be a little bit more under the radar than usual because of some of their issues. You've got OKC, which has had a surprisingly good year with the revival of Chris Paul, with uh, Gilgis Alexander molding with him very well there. You've got Utah, who's been kind of a frou-frou kind of pick in the Western Conference the last two years. And, uh, of course, again... The obvious issues there. One of the reasons, well, the reason we're here in the first place, the coronavirus crisis, uh, and Rudy Gobert playing a role in that, uh, as far as uh, helping to get the NBA shut down in the first place here. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, their biggest star, getting it as well. So some questions about Utah in that regard, uh, and then again, you, you've got another team in the mix, and we already talked about Denver before, but Dallas, and this is a thing where, and this is my moment to plug. If you go to the front page of fantasydrafthelp.com, right there at the top, we got a link to our 2020 FDH NBA restart cheat sheet here with our fantasy picks uh, for the postseason playoff predictions and our ultimate quantitative baseline statistic for the regular season. A number of statistics, mostly advanced statistics here uh, that we are using, mixing in our own power rankings and power rankings based on strength of schedule. I was shocked that Dallas came in as high as they were. They came in, uh, again, the lowest number on this is the best. So they came in with the fourth lowest number in the league, i.e. fourth in the power rankings at 60. You've got Toronto 51, Milwaukee 54, L.A. Lakers 56. Dallas in at 60, ahead of Utah and Miami, both at 61. The Clippers at 68. Uh, Boston at 74, Denver 76, Oklahoma City 84. That's the end of the top tier. I guess let's start with Dallas and sort of take them unto themselves before we go back and talk about some of these other teams here. To me, Luka Doncic, skill-wise, you hate to put this on anybody, but he's the closest to LeBron that we've seen since LeBron came into the league as far as being a, a bigger guy with an all-around type game, which is basically, that's that's the first you know description that anybody would put on LeBron. You use the same thing for Luka. 
how advanced he is in his second year, the partnership with Porzingis, the all-time great offense that they have. Defensively, eh, nothing to write home about. They're 17th in defensive rating, so uh, when and if they go down, that's going to be what does it to them. But Dallas right now, I think, is better than they have any right to be based on their the curve of their progression. Right, and a lot of people, too, I think, in Dallas is seeing out the lower ranking mainly because they were seen as the 7th And remember, the tail end of the season before the shutdown occurred, there were six and four, but they had some impressive wins. They beat Denver on the night before the Nigel Bear tested positive. And just generally, they have a very deep team. Now, they are dealing with a bunch of injuries. Absolutely. And uh, in terms of uh, the other teams on that sort of middle tier in the Western Conference, Utah, OKC, Houston, any of those teams ones that you could make a decent case for uh, even squeaking into the conference finals? I think Houston's the most obvious one because whenever you have the top scoring the NBA, James Harden and Russell Westbrook on your team, going to have an ability. They do, they will be without Eric Gordon for a couple of weeks due to an injury he suffered last night. Their scrimmage against Boston. The only concern I have with the Rockets right now is their depth. They don't have a rough. Mike D'Antoni usually keeps his rotations relatively small in the playoffs, and a guy like Gordon wasn't really shooting well. Helped at least make the floor for them. And again, we, we've seen this happen before when a team is heavily relying on two guys who really need the rest of that roster to come out. Guys like Robert Covington, guys like DJ Tucker. But they, and we've seen it before. They can, they can score with the best of them. And I've always made this rule that if you're playing at a neutral site, Rick, offense will always travel. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're good running at the park in, in, in L.A., you're good at running at the park in New York City. It's the same thing at the end of the day. Looking at a team like OKC, OKC is weirdly a misnomer for me because they've been 
Yeah, I could see that being the case, definitely. And uh, that takes us to what most people would think is the top of the conference. By the way, I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention it when you were talking about James Harden a second ago. Uh, may I say that I think 20 years from now, uh, people will be saying, hey, you know, the GOAT, Kevin Porter Jr., back in 2019, Ben Chu compared him to James Harden. He knew what he was talking about. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, before we get to the top tier, one thing we should know is we should give credit to the Memphis Grizzlies. They've had a fantastic season. Yeah. John Moran has looked at everything that he was up to. I'm only questionable because of that mid-season deal they ended up doing for Justin Winslow. They get a draft pick and they'll get to in the near future, but losing Jay Crowder impacted them a little bit. They were on a little bit of a wall at the end of the season. But they have a very good shot to keep it in the season. Um, they were Jenkins has been fantastic this year. If it wasn't for the fact that Nick Nerd and Billy Donovan have enjoyed great coaching up, he definitely would be up there in his career in the seat. And it would not shock him to see him go because John is a fantastic yeah I think that's an excellent point uh, and and yes they deserve all the credit in the world for being where they're at right now but uh, the Battle of LA which uh, again we uh, we haven't really seen them square off uh, as much as uh, we thought we would at this point. And, and, of course, lest we forget, not merely because of the the shutdown, but prior to that, that would have been the first game back, the Battle of L.A. for the Lakers, uh, but it was uh, canceled in the wake of the Kobe Bryant morning earlier in the season. Hard to believe that was still in 2020. It's been a long, long year, uh, and we're only halfway, a little bit over halfway through it calendar-wise, but... Uh, there is every chance that even at the end of what has been one of the most bizarre seasons, if not the most bizarre in NBA history because of the circumstances, we may still come down to the Battle of L.A. At the beginning of the year, I would have given the edge to the Clippers. Uh, I'm not so sure at this point uh, because of uh, the Lakers have sort of surpassed what I thought they would be thus far this year. Uh, I, I thought they would struggle to incorporate everybody in here, and it continues to be a juggling act uh, as we go along with uh, the, the pieces that are sort of coming and going for them. Uh, so I, I've kind of switched the leaning towards the Lakers from the Clippers there, but I still have them as the top two teams in the West. What say you? I mean, I think the major thing, and I, I, I essentially feel the same way you do right now, is that the Clippers, the issue I've had with the Clippers, has nothing to do with Goliath, nothing to do with Paul Georgia nothing to do with Don Rivers. They, we know what they bring to the table already. My concern with that is just offensive continuity. I mean, Lou Williams is not going to be there for two games in the bubble due to the Magic City trip. Montrezl Harrell is probably, is most likely not going to play in the game tomorrow. He might be still there, so trying to determine his status. I mean, the question I ultimately have for the Clippers is that offense is their, is their offensive continuity. They have a lot of great players that they score with bunches.
excellent regular season, uh, even with all of their challenges leading up to this. And uh, coming into the season, my pick in the finals was Clippers over Bucks. And yours, I remember, it was Philly and Denver. I don't remember who you had coming out on top. I think it was Philly over Denver. That's what I thought. Okay, yeah. Okay, so, I don't think I'm wrong. Well, you, I, I, you, you, I just, yeah, I got all the respect in the world, because you went out on a limb. I went fairly chalk. I'm going to stay chalk with what I'm seeing here thus far. The two best teams have been the Bucks and the Lakers, and uh, I think in the end the Bucks are going to be too much. So I will say Bucks over the Lakers in the finals. I, I do have Toronto making it to the Eastern Conference Finals and the Clippers making it to the Western Conference Finals. So in my book, the possibility of Kawhi versus Toronto in the finals will be looming almost until the very end. I don't think it'll come to that. I think it'll be Bucks over Lakers. I'm going to stay with the predictable scenario, the chalk scenario as things stand right now. How do you assess it looking at it, Ben? This sounds hard for me because, it's, again, it, it seems like such a mark move to go Bucks-Lakers, but at this point, unless I see something different, we're trending that way. One, one scenario I do see that I would think something different is that I could see a scenario where the team might keep turning Dallas and their offense get hot and then just can make stuff work at the end of the day. But at this point, I hate to agree with you, Rick, but I'm going to go with Lakers at this point. And I think I agree with you again, too. It's like, I just, it feels like a, a culmination for the Bucks finally. And I'll glad they're not going to play at home. It feels sort of like they're entitled at this point. Absolutely, yes. And uh, probably just the start of what will be a great run in Milwaukee. Of course, assuming that they lock down the Greek Freak uh, subsequently, which will become a point of drama from here on in. Which, by the way, speaking of drama, in my predictions, what I have for the second round, tell me this wouldn't be one of the most epic second round series in many, many, many years. I have it being the Lakers and Dallas in the second round. Can, can you imagine a, a LeBron v. Luka in the playoffs? That, that will be insane. Dallas can make it out this year because, again, like we said, 
he is a veteran, and again, figuring it out, that's going to be the key to all of this here going forward. Uncharted territory, we've never seen anything like this. God willing, we'll never see anything like this ever again because it's pretty horrific circumstances. Uh, I mean, again, if these players could go out and play in a free society, we would all be doing much better right now. But uh, this is the only way that we're going to get the NBA playoffs in and done. And uh, thus far, again, uh, the few breaches that we've had have not led to an outbreak yet. So let us hope and pray that that continues to be the case and that uh, we get this in because certainly that is what this country needs at a time like this. We could definitely use getting to watch the NBA the rest of the way through. I know how much brighter your life has been, Ben, since even the practice games have come back. So, you know, we'll see what happens through October here. Uh, an unprecedented time, but nobody to, uh, better to talk about it with than you, my friend. So thank you, Ben Chu, again for being here today. Well, no problem. Yeah, could be for the start of the next season. The NBA Players Union is already speculating about that for 2020-2021. So we shall see another story for another day. But in the meantime, this has been a great conversation, my friend. Thank you for being here. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini, episode 1258.